Steve Jobs, uh, grew up in Southern California. His parents thought it would be a good idea for him to go to church, so they took him to a Lutheran church on most Sundays. It was in 1968. Life magazine on their cover had a picture of a couple of starving children from Valle Afra. It's it's, uh, a country in Africa today. I forget the name. But starving children started working on his mind. He took the picture, the cover, to a church, and he asked his pastor, he said, does, does God know everything? And the pastor said, yes. So he pulled out the picture, and he said, does God know about this? And if so, what's he going to do about it? Steve was 13. And the pastor said, Steve, I, I, I know you don't understand, but God does know about that. And Steve Jobs never went to church again and said, I can't worship a God like that. Uh, Ellie Weissel was a teenager when he went to a death camp with his Jewish family. He said that in the death camp, when he watched the, the furnaces and he watched the smoke coming out, knowing that that, were, that was men and women and children, he said this, he said, Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turn my dreams to dust. One could argue, well, they're not evangelical, most probably. So that's Bart Ehrman graduated from Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton College and went on to Princeton Theological Seminary. Um, different reasons in it why he walked away from the faith, but he said this, he said, suffering increasingly became a problem for me in my faith. A large part of my movement away from the faith was driven by my concern for suffering. He looked at the fact that every five seconds in this world today, a child dies from starvation. Every hour or every minute, 25 people will die because of unclean water. Every hour, 700 people in this world will die because of malaria. And you look at hurricanes and tsunamis and mudslides. And Airmen said, you know what, I can't. I can't believe in a God who allows this anymore. I, this week, I had two different people come to me with loved ones, friends, uh, boss in one case, who want, perhaps want to believe in God, but there's an obstacle, and that obstacle is suffering. How can there be God and there be suffering? You know, I'll tell you, that is the number one objection to Christianity, to belief in, belief in God, is this idea of suffering and pain. And the argument goes like this. I'm a parent. I love my children. And I give my children free will if they do something stupid and I, it's going to hurt them a little bit. Yeah, but if it's going to hurt them irreparably as a parent, because I love them, I step in and protect them from them. And I'll grant everybody else free will, that's fine. But their free will, as much as I can control it, will not be at the expense of my child's safety. I will step in and protect them. And if my child's playing along the side of the road and I see a car swerving out of control and it might hit my child, I'm going to do anything in my power to protect my child. I will protect him from tornadoes and viruses and accidents because I love him. Now, if God loves and if God is all-powerful, he certainly doesn't protect everybody, does he? So one of three things are true about God. Either A, he can't, he doesn't have the power really, He's up there crying and upset and sad, but he can't do anything about it. I'm not going to worship a God like that. Or B, perhaps he has the power, but he just doesn't care. He's not loving. He just kind of apathetically watches people go through pain and suffering. Well, I'm not going to worship a God like that. 
Or C, God does not exist. That's, that's, that's the thinking. That's, the, that's the, the, the question. This issue, this question is not just a modern day thing. This has been around from a, a long time back. I mean, that has, that has been the major dilemma in Christianity. Now, it's a lot of scriptures deal with this. The most famous, of course, is the book of Job. But let me ask you, how is your experience with suffering and pain? You you know, when, when, when it's not people on a magazine cover, but they're people that you know, or maybe yourself, you know, maybe you don't vocalize these things. But if there are emboldened question marks in your heart on these issues, it cannot help but impact you. It will impact you. It will affect you. It's part of who you are. It's part of your baggage. And it will either destroy or diminish your faith greatly. Now, it's interesting. In the book of, of, of Job, and here's our goal. This is where we're going with this thing. I think Job, probably one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible, uh, our goal is to understand what God is saying there. And in the process, understand God's mind on this. We recognize that God says, your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. By default, we're over here. God's over here. But our goal, because followers, disciples, are those who learn from Jesus and live for Jesus. They're transformed by what they're learning. Our goal is to have our thought pattern equal God's before this whole series is done. That's, that's the plan. Now, it's, what we're going to be doing this morning is we're kind of like laying the table, laying the groundwork, a lot of stuff, kind of a smorgasbord of stuff that we're going to be dropping. But it's things that we need to understand for the rest of the study. So some of the stuff you might be going, well, it's going to come back. I assure you it will be back at you at one point. Um, prologue. A prologue on a story. Not every story has one. But a prologue is that piece almost separate from the story, that talks about the historical background, the emotional stuff, all the things you need to understand before you get into the story. If you don't get the prologue down, the rest of the story is not going to make a whole lot of sense. And so we want to just check out some prologue type stuff with Job for just a moment. So in your head, be taking the notes, get this down. Uh, Historical prologue, follow me on this one because you're going to think, what in the world is he going? Just, Just be with me for a minute. Every story, narrative, portion of scripture, I think of all literature, has got two dates. There's the date that it happened, right? And there's the date that it was written down. For example, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, when did that happen? Well, it was a long time ago, right? Long, 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 long time ago. When was it written down? Well, did God write that verse down the moment that he created everything? Well, According to Genesis, Moses is the author of Genesis. Moses lived around 1500 B.C., probably wrote it during the wilderness wanderings when the Israelites are walking around the, the desert. So there are two different dates. So let we look at Job. Job, when did it happen and when was it written? It happened, and we can go through all the evidence, we're not going to do that. I believe it happened during the patriarchal period, pre-patriarchal period, before Abraham. Abraham lived 2100 B.C., roughly. It was written shortly thereafter, which makes Job the oldest book, the very first book that God inspired to be written, the very first book in the Bible. 
It's a joke. Now, this is, think about this for a second. This is amazing. The number one philosophical issue that's an obstacle between people and God. The number one issue, God deals with it first. He says, I, this is, I'm not trying to deny this stuff. I don't got no simple, easy answers. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist. We're going to hit this thing head on. Very first book I'm giving the people is going to deal with this issue. He's so interested in having a relationship with you and I. And you need to know, as we look at, look at Job, by the time we get to the end of this series, you might not like God's answers, but you need to know this. His answer is not denial, pretend like it doesn't exist. His answer is not despair. Oh, there's pain and trouble. There's nothing. I guess it's just the way it is. That's not the answer either. You might not care for it, but he's going to answer that question. We're not going to answer that this morning. By the end of the series, we will. There's, there's, there's a historical uh, prologue. Purpose of Job, important for us. Because every time you go to the book of Job, people go to it with questions. Matter of fact, most of us are not interested in reading Job. If you try to read Job, long book. Got this cool stuff at the beginning, this long, boring thing in the middle, and it's got a cool chapter or two at the end. But, you know, you get lost in it. What's going on? I don't... Most of us go to it, though, with questions that we want answered. And I would say that we go to it with the wrong questions. And we go to it with these questions that we have. Meanwhile, Job's not answering that question. We get the answer, and we go, this don't, doesn't make any sense. It's not, that's because we're expecting it to answer questions it's not trying to answer. So, so we have to let Job set what the question is. And then we have to grab the, the answer. And as we do, I think a lot of other questions will be answered. You might say, well, what is the question? That's next week. We'll get into that one next week. So also purpose of Job. Purpose of Job is not to comfort people who are struggling. I mean, someone's really going through it. You don't hand them the book of Job and say, here, read this, right? That's just going to get them ticked off at you and God and Satan and people. And it's not going to be a good thing. You send Job on that mission, and it's going to come back with its tail between its legs, and people are going to hate Scripture. And it's just not a good thing. There's some psalms that work on that excellently. That's not the purpose of Job. What's the purpose of Job? That's next week. Look into that next week. So the, 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 the historical prologue. Literary prologue, and this is, got your Bibles, bring it, bring it this, turn with me to Job chapter 1, be bringing it this series because you're going to need to see some things that are very uh, telling, excellent stuff. Let's start right at right the beginning, that's always a good place to start, right? We're not going to go through Job verse by verse, uh, it's a long book to do that. Yeah, it would be a 10-year process. I think you're right, Norm. Okay, 1-1. One, one. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. By the way, these first five verses, these are prologue. The story's going to start, verse 6. But this is kind of giving us the background. Uh, well, where was Uz, right? We don't know where Uz was. We, we don't know. They're, we're not sure. But we do know this. If you follow that down... The end of verse 3 talks about it being in the east. Whenever the scripture refers to the east, it's going to either refer east of the, the Jordan or east of the Euphrates. What it means is this. Job was not, you know, before Abraham, he was not Jewish. Uh, this is not even in the land of Israel. This is outside. This is every man's story. 
Very, very important. This is humanity's story. This is your story and my story. This is, this is us right here. There's no genealogy for Job. And it's because Job represents all of us. Job represents all of us. Uh, he goes on. It says that he was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. We'll come back to that one. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. In ancient uh, Mesopotamia, it's probably where he's at, numerology was huge. Just like it was for all ancient peoples, it was for the Hebrews as well. Numbers 3, numbers 7, numbers 10, huge numbers. Now 12 as well, but remember 12 is a Jewish number. It's not, not 3, 7, 10. They're the numbers of completion, seven days in the, in the week. And before the law was given, Jacob knew that you were supposed to tithe. I mean, it was one-tenth because you've got ten. Ten was complete. Ten was full. Ten was a sign of perfection. Look at what he has here. He's got seven sons and three daughters. Together, ten. He owned 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, that's 1,000. Actually, it's she-donkeys. They're more valuable they, uh, between uh, producing and milk. He had a large number of servants. He's got 500 yoke of oxen. This guy's got 500 plows. And that's a lot of tractors. He's got to have at least 500 servants to run the plows, plus how many servants do you need to take care of the 10,000-plus the herd that he's got? How many acres does this guy have? How many servants in his home? He's got thousands and thousands of servants. He is very, very wealthy guy. And as you and I both know, with wealth comes power. I had a, a friend, very well-off guy, neat, godly guy. God just blessed him. But one day he wanted, uh, it was his wife's birthday. And so he called up the local high school and he said, you know, I think it would be really cool if the marching band marched in front of my house on this day at this time and they played these songs. These were her favorite songs. And then they played, stopped right in front of her house and they played Happy Birthday. And then when she comes out, just, just scream her name and Happy Birthday. And the guy said, oh, right, please, you know, listen, we don't have time. Thank you. It's a nice idea. <laughs> we don't have time. Blah, blah. And my friend said, and if you do that, I will buy new uniforms for the band, whatever uniforms you want. They said, well, what time would you like us there, sir? That would be what we would love to do that for you. Where there's money, there's power. We know this. Job was the wealthiest man around. Job was a family man. Look, he's got seven sons and three daughters. We're going to find out that they, that they hang with each other. They're a good family. Now, some of you might be thinking, ah, wait a minute. Uh, three, seven, ten. It just so happens that Job's got... All this wealth and his family just happened to match those numbers. I wonder if Job's really, the book's just an analogy. It's just a metaphor kind of thing. Job was also a historical person. And you need to know that the author here is much more than a historian. He's got, he's got, a, he's got a mission. Job, I think, is an incredible, it's a, it's a literary masterpiece. There's a lot of stuff that the author writes. I think he writes kind of winking he thinks no one's really going to get this one. It's a subtle deal throughout the whole, throughout the whole book. But Job was a, liter- it was a historical book. Ezekiel 14 says, 
he's talking about a judgment that's coming against a city, Ezekiel. And he says, and even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. The author of Ezekiel recognizes Job as a historical personage. So does James. Next verse. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. We hold Job as historical because God holds him, Scripture holds him as a historical personage. But again, keep in mind as you read through this that the author's not just a historian. He's seeking to say something to you and to I as well. Job also is a spiritual sort of guy. Verse 4. It says, His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking. Now, this is important. What's he thinking? I mean, why did they put this part in here? Thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. It's a good dad, right? I mean, he's concerned for his kids' spiritual well-being. Real, most important thing is concern for their spiritual well-being. But what's the number one fear in Job's heart? That his kids may curse God. Now, to curse God is to uh, not deny God's existence. It's to attribute wrongdoing to God. It's to say, um, I'm looking at the world. I'm looking at things happening to me. And, and I'm just going to determine either God's not loving or God's not powerful. He's just doing it all wrong. He's messing up here. That is what it is to curse God. In Job's mind, it's walking away from God. It, it's, it's accusing God of evil. When you accuse God of evil, what have you got left? Job knows that is the most horrific thing in his heart. Please don't let my children ever go down that road. Parents, you know that's your heart too. This word curse, real important. Because Satan, verse 8, uses this word. We have this. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, man who fears God and shuns evil. Do I have that down? And Satan says, that one. Satan says, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. Same word. Satan bets that this thing that Job fears, Job is going to do. And then Job's wife, later on, is going to say, Job, listen, just curse God. Going on that road. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, starts off, Job says that Job cursed, dot, dot, dot. If you don't have your Bible, you're going to have to come back as we talk about that one a little bit later. But this is the idea. This is really, we're, the author setting us up at the beginning. What the idea, what the whole purpose of this book is. Where, where, where it's going. So, so Job was, was a, a spiritual man. Also, you notice that, that Job was a blameless guy. He was a godly man. I don't think this needs to be a spoiler alert, but I can tell you that Job's life is going to go south, right? You know, oh, you didn't ruin the story for me. Now, you, you know this. His life is going to, everything's going to fall apart. Everything goes south with Job. Job's story is your story and my story, which means in time your life will go south, my life will go south, south as well. Scott Peck in his book, 
the road less traveled. He says this, fascinating line. He says, life is hard. He says, says, this is the most profound saying because once we realize that life is hard, it's not as hard. We go through life expecting. We have an expectation that it's going to be okay. And when it's not okay, we, we are all, we lose it. And Job's story, what he's telling us is, is it's our story. Job's questions that he's going to have are the questions we're going to have. And it, it, your wheels are going to come off your life. And maybe it's just one wheel here. One, maybe you'll have a situation where all of them are going to come off and you drop the tranny. You know, what's going to happen is if you've had it in the past, don't think that it's not going to happen again in the future. Because until we die, this is our lot in life. You remember my, well, my son, you probably don't remember this. After we candidated here, uh, Wherever it was, it was we went back to uh, Wisconsin. We're all sitting around the kitchen table. I picture this perfectly in my head, and I say, "Okay, guys, it's not a democracy, but what do you want? What do you think we should do?" And we went around the table, and everybody said the same two things. I mean, everybody said two things. They said, "I don't want to go. My friends are here. My life is here. I'm comfortable here." One. Number two. I think God wants us to go. So we were sitting around the table. It was kind of quiet, soaking the sin. And then Nathan said, God wants us to go, Dad, but sometimes God has Job-type stuff for you, doesn't he? Yeah, he does sometimes. And and no doubt there's going to be some Job-type stuff. There's also going to be good things. In our lives, in your life, Job-type stuff is coming. Dorothy starts her way down the, the yellow brick road, Man, she's just had a party with the munchkins. She's got her red ruby slippers on. Life is good. It's sunny. It's nice. But she's not going on that road too long before. There are witches and flying monkeys and people setting her friends on fire and, and people got contract out on Toto. And uh, life is not good. Just to think that the Yelbrick Road is not a cakewalk. It has issues. There's trouble. You're trying to get to the wizard. You're trying to get there. And you think it should be nice and clean. But it's not nice and clean because there's an enemy. There's all kinds of stuff coming against. And to realize that, that my life, as I'm going, making on this journey, as I'm trying to get to the Emerald City, as it were, it's not going to be, a, it should be nice because God is just going to protect me. It's not going to be that way. And there are going to be reasons we'll find out as we get into this study. But your story and my story is Job's story. And perhaps right now you're living in this prologue, this one, one through five. That's, that's, one, that's wonderful. It's sunny. That's great. That's from God too. That's again, I want to be gloom and gloom. It's all bad. It's not all bad. But to think that it should always be only good is setting ourselves up for a lot of, of unnecessary, unnecessary grief. Job says, very first thing it says about him, you've got to love this. Besides the fact that he, he was in us, This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Another spoiler. Job makes it. Goes through this horrific stuff. His his glorious life turns into a glorious nightmare. He makes it barely by the skin of the teeth. Not in a perfect, perfect way, let me tell you. But how did he make it? Because you're going to... Our story is Job's, and we're going to come to that same crossroad in different ways throughout our life. Maybe not as bad. It certainly is going to be there. Health or finances, family, whatever. It's going to be there. How 
Can we make it when that comes? I think it's found right in the beginning. This man was blameless and upright. The words speak of motivation. They speak of an internal integrity. Uh, Job walked close fellowship with God. Now, this is amazing when you, when you think about this. There's no Bible. There's no indwelling Holy Spirit. Job doesn't have a church support group somewhere. He's not going to men's frat. He's going to, uh, Job's living in a very pagan area. Uh, Job's friends, we'll get into this in time, coming at him with pagan views of God. He's got all kinds of this. And yet Job is blameless and upright. He fears God. And, and you know, it's not just the author's view. This isn't this what God says in one eight. Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. This is what God says. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Would it be wild to have God say of you, there's no one on earth like this person. He shuns evil and he fears God and he's blameless and upright. Blah, that would be incredible. The, the, the fearing God means he's uh, devoutly has a devout love for God. That means he approaches God with reverence and awe. He's very conscious of God's power and God's love for him. It means Job is not going to do anything to shame or hurt his God. He's, he, he, he likes his relationship with God. He's not going to do anything to hurt that uh, relationship with God. Now, you, what's it look like, this blameless and upright thing? What's it look like? You, if you've got your Bibles, look over at Job 31. It's the only other place we'll turn. It's my favorite chapter, one of my, probably my favorite chapter in the Bible. Job 31. This is to men, the ladies you can listen, what Proverbs 31 is to women. So just let's, let's, let's blast through this for just a moment, but just taking mental note. When God says someone is blameless and upright, fears God and shuns evil, what's, what's he talking about? Chapter 31, verse 1, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Uh, now, I think that that's amazing in and of itself because Job's living in a day where the women are all looking like the Michelin men. You know, they got 15 veils and 32 sheets on their body. And somehow, Job, this guy has an incredible imagination. He's got to say, you know what, I'm not going to look at that. Whoa, look at that veil. You know, he is not going down that road. He's not happening. He's going he's to discipline his eyes. For what is man's lot from God, his heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? He says, if you decide to live a life of sin, this is, this is going to be part of Job's whole issue. Uh, isn't it, doesn't judgment come with that? And he sees my ways. He knows my steps. He knows what I'm thinking. So I'm not going down that road. He says, if I've walked in falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit, and let God weigh me in honest scales and he'll know that I'm blameless. How many of us can say, God, if you weigh me, you'll know. You'll know, God, that deceit, deception, misleading is just not part of who I am. You look at this guy and you go, wow, Job is, 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 is nailing it here. If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes, I don't let my, my lusts my eyes, materialism, whatever else, food, people. Think. I don't let that control me. I control where, where that goes. It's not the other way around. If that's happened, then may others eat what I have sown. May my crops be uprooted. 
He's presenting his case here basically to God. He says, and I like nine. He says, if my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I've lurked at my neighbor's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain, may other men sleep with her. Job takes responsibility. Not the other woman. If the other woman is walking around in front of him wearing something she ought not to be wearing, you know whose fault this is in Job's mind? If his mind is going to sit there and linger, he takes responsibility. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, you know what? It's not her fault. It's not the society's fault. It's not my culture's fault. It's not television's fault. It's my responsibility. Where he goes. He says, if I've lurked at my neighbor's door, whether it's lurking on the internet or lurking in the sale papers or the magazines, I'm just kind of lurking to catch a peek, to see what I can see, to, to entertain my thoughts. He says, if I've ever done that, and God knows if I have or not, what, what, a, what a power, this is what blamelessness looks like, guys. He says, verse 11, for that would have been shameful, a sin to be judged. It's a fire that burns to destruction. If it would have uprooted my harvest. He says, if I've denied justice to my men servants and maid servants, and by the way, your slaves did not have justice, especially the female slaves, when they had a grievance against me. Can you imagine? Slaves lining up to have their grievances against Job. And another thing, Job, we think that you need to put ice in the water and that you need to, oh yeah, you don't like working here, I'll take care of that right now. And he says, when they have a grievance against me, which means he had to have some way of listening to them, I'm going to listen because what will I do when, when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Job knows. That he's going, he's going to stand before God one day for how he deals with his employees. How he deals with people who he has power over. Every word said. He knows that it's going to happen. So he said, man, I'm going to treat them nice because did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? We're equal. Yeah, I'm, for whatever reason, I'm in a position of power or responsibility or supervision over them. But God knows we're on equal ground here. He says, if I've denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I've kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless. But from my youth, I reared him as would a father, and from my birth, I guided the widow. I've always taken care of the disenfranchised, he says. If I've seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or a needy man without a garment, and his heart did not bless me for warming him with the fleece for my sheep. Don't you love that? They didn't even have to ask for clothing. He just had to see it. He just saw the need. He said, I'm on it. And he took care of it. He saw the need. And he went after it. He didn't just see it and feel bad. Oh, that's too bad. I feel bad. Okay, I've done my thing by feeling bad. He, he made sure it was fixed. If I've raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court. I mean, who's going to believe this, this orphan kid versus me? He's the greatest. You know, he's the Bill Gates of the era. He's the greatest man in the East. He's got the power. Everyone says, yes, Job. That's what they do. He he's, controls the court system. He says, I am not going to abuse that. The orphan is going to have the, the, the fair share here. Nobody is going to abuse power as long as I'm on duty. Verse 23. He says, why? He says, he says, because I dreaded destruction from God. For fear of his splendor. That's fascinating terminology. I could not do such things. Verse 24. If I put my trust in gold... 
or said to pure gold, you're my security. If I've rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained. And he's got the money. He's got the money. He says, if I had a wrong perspective in my heart about it, if I rejoiced over it, hard to not rejoice if you win the lotto, isn't it? But he's, he's, if I rejoice, it's not, not there for me. If I regarded the sun and its radiance or the moon moving in splendor so that my heart was secretly enticed and my hand offered them a kiss of homage, that's uh, almost all the Mesopotamian religions worship the sun and the, 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 the stars. Uh, and that's the world he's living in. Then these would be sins to be judged. For I would have been unfaithful to God on high. This is amazing because everyone else in society, I mean everybody, believes in polytheism. And Job, before Abraham, holds to one God. You have to ask yourself a little bit sometimes, don't you? Where did he get this information? One of the things that helps me understand is God wasn't just quiet from the flood all the way to Abraham, and then he kicked in again. God had been moving in people's lives. He just, we, no reason to tell us about it. How many volumes can you, can you read? Uh, but God was there. God's always been there. Verse 29, if I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune or gloated over the trouble that came to him. Now, none of us would do that kind of thing, obviously. We're all kind of with Job. We would never do that kind of thing either, Job. We're, we're with you on that. If I have, not allowed my, I, have not, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by invoking a curse against his life. Saying, I don't speak. This is amazing because he's saying, as God is my witness, I have never said anything negative about my enemy. Have you never said anything negative about your enemy? It's easy to see, isn't it? My goodness, no wonder God said there's nobody on earth like him. This guy is blameless. This guy is upright. This guy does live his life based on fear of me and shunning evil. Uh, 100%. This whole idea of Job's righteousness is huge for understanding for this book. That's We've got to get this down. It says in verse 31, If the men of my household had never said, Who has not had his fill of Job's meat? But no stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveler. When There's no, not a lot of holiday inns, and so when people came to town, they just hung out in the, the village center until somebody would take them in. Job would send servants there every evening. Is there anyone hanging out, needs a place to stay? And then he would serve them meat, which was a sign of festivity. That was very nice. That was the five-star menu. So when these guys stayed the night, you can imagine these people lining up to spend the night in the, 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 at Job's house. Because, man, he's going to take care of you. Says, uh, if I have concealed my sin, as men do, by high, he's not saying he's, he's sinless. He's not sinless. But if I have concealed my sin, as men do, by hiding my guilt in my heart, because I so feared the crowd and so dreaded the contempt of the clans that I kept silent and would not go outside. You ever have fear of what other people will say or think? Shut your mouth. You ever have fear of what others will say or think? Keep a lot of stuff inside that probably should be out. Job didn't. And then he says, verse, I don't know if I have that, this one on the screen, but uh, you could hear his pain because his life has fallen apart at this point. 
He says, oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him account of my every step. I would, like a prince, I would approach him. And then he says, if my land, he goes back to his other argument, cries out against me and all its furrows are wet with tears. If I have devoured its yield without payment or broken the spirit of its tenants, Then let briars come up instead of wheat and weeds instead of barley. Job is green on top of everything else. The guy is perfect. Job is is taking care of of the the planet. Job is taking care of his people who serve for him. Job is just, he's nailing it. God looks at him and says, blameless and upright. You fear God. You shun evil. Job. Now, as we think about Job's story, we think about what this blameless and upright looks like in our own life. You need to know, in Job's life, it was going to be tested. Huge. Job's story is your story, my story. Our commitment to God will be tested. That's what suffering does. Suffering is like pressure, right? We've not talked about this before. On the tube of toothpaste, and when pressure is exerted, what comes out is what was always in. So if your blamelessness is shallow, if in fact your your shunning evil is superficial, if your fearing God is just plastic, then when that pressure comes, guess what's going to come out? The reason why I think Job was able to make it, not without sin, but the reason why Job was able to make it was because When things were sunny, when things were nice, he was so committed to honoring, serving God. He was so committed to to pleasing his God, to living a life that pleased God, so that when the the fire came, he had the, the internal fortitude to make it. And this is for us. If, in fact, our our blamelessness is superficial, you got to know when the fire comes, because it's going to come, because Job's story is your story and my story. When it comes... We're going to do what Bart Ehrman, we're going to do what so many other folk, people that you know how, you know these people. When they came to the crossroads, when the suffering hit, they didn't understand and they became a statistic. We will go that same route. You have it within you. Don't be thinking, I'm so doggone strong, I'm not going to go down that road. Enough pressure and heat. And yes, yes, you certainly can. That's the, that's the story of Job. And so, if you're living in one through five right now, life is good. You just have to ask yourself. And you, you really need to. What am I doing to prepare for this storm? What am, I, what am I doing? Would God say of me that I'm blameless and upright and I fear God and shun evil? Is that, I just don't have time for that right now. Yeah, let, me, let me throw out this for you. Uh, if you're looking for something to do as far as personal Bible study, quite time. That chapter we just breezed through, uh, Job 31, take that. Get a pen and a spiral notebook, whatever else, and go through whatever, how many verses you want, a couple verses at a time, and ask yourself, would God say that this is me? Could I, like Job, say, God, I do this, knowing good and well that God knows everything? Could I say that? Or... Where am I violating this right now? Maybe I, I am. Maybe for some of us, 
we're not shunning evil like we ought to be shunning evil. And there's some evil thing that we need to shun. And as long as we continue to embrace it and entertain it, please know it will be your undoing. It will be your undoing. Perhaps you're not in a position that Job is in. Maybe you're saying, I'm like Job. No, no, you can only wish to be like Job as far as his righteousness goes. You're not in a position where, you know what? Blamelessness, my inner heart, my commitment to him is just not there. The fire is hot. It's going to be hard when you go through it, no question about it. But when you're walking, holding on to him, and he's holding on to you, he can carry you through that. But you've got to be holding on to him. So let me ask you right now. Not that you're perfect. None of us. My goodness. Who? Who? Blameless, upright, fear God, shun evil. Would the Holy Spirit bring something to mind right now? I need to dump that. I need to get rid of that. Well, you don't need to get rid of it tomorrow. Today, you need to get rid of it. There's something the Holy Spirit would bring to mind. I've been blowing off my time with him in his word and prayer. I just don't have time for that. I need not, Don't start tomorrow. Today, I need to start. Because when the storm hits, and Job's story is your story, my story, it will, our ability to make it, it's going to be partially dependent, heavily, on our commitment to him today. It'd be nice, maybe, if the book of Job ended after the first five verses, wouldn't it? It's all done. This life is good, and everything happens, and he's blameless, and life is rosy, and all these wonderful things happen to him. There's a whole lot more left in the book. I'm looking forward to the next few weeks as we get through it. But let's leave ourselves this morning with this challenge. Lord, is there something in me? Would you search my heart and see if there is any hurtful, harmful, evil, codependent, dysfunctional, sinful way in me. Would your spirit put his finger on it? I give that to you now. Lord, thank you. There's nothing even in our shame, not wanting to say those things to you, knowing that that you know it. And then some. We do bring our things before you, God, our stuff before you. We thank you, God, for the blessings that you've given to us. We recognize, oh God, that in this world, our faith will be tested. When it does, Lord, may the testing refine and not destroy for me and for my brothers and sisters here. I would pray that, and God, for anybody right now who's here, who's going through a period of testing who perhaps has let go of their faith because of the pain, because of the question marks. They didn't understand. They don't know what you're doing. Oh, my God, I pray for them. I ask that you would protect. And I pray, Father, between now and the end of our series, would your word, please, God, would your word come very real and very true and heal and grow and transform that we as your people here at First Alliance Church would be people who reflect you even when even when the storms come. May we hold on to our integrity. In the midst of the storm, may you be able to say of us, God, that we're seeking you. I would pray that that would be so. And Father, even as we would uh, give back right now a little bit of that which you've given to us, knowing that it'd be used to help students and uh, 
our, our kids, our Sunday school classes and life groups, and, and people grow in you, and people understand your word, and people come to know your mind. God, would you use those gifts for your kingdom's sake? I would pray that that would be, be so. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.